I am Paul Jones and you are listening to The Spirit of Lux. I think that uh, architecture cannot be architecture without urban design, urbanism. You get this wow effect of the sea, the blue sea, the beach, the reflective pond. You can see the rooms on one side, the beach rouge on your left side. And then you understand where you are and you obviously conclude within your heart that you will have an an amazing stay in this uh, beautiful place. I think planning is very important and planning comes from my urban design background where you've got to get it right. Sometimes you've got to go really back to the basics of what architecture and planning is before finally conclude on such a thing. Greetings and welcome from the magical island of Mauritius in the southern Indian Ocean. Today we are celebrating the opening of the magnificent Lux Grand Bay. What a magical island and what a magnificent hotel it is. Welcome to the Spirit of Lux. Today we have none only than the architect who was responsible for the magnificent architecture that we see here at Lux Grand Bay. It's absolutely splendid and it's come out of the ground in all its glory. Jean-Francois Adam, we've known each other for more than 20 years. I think the first time we met, you were working on a hotel in the east coast of Mauritius, the Toos Rock, when you were together with Miko Giro, who was one of the pioneer architects of Mauritius, if not the pioneer architect. And you came out of his practice to set up your own practice. I also remember, I think it was you designed our house in Trudeuse next to the Tuesrock. And that was also uh, stands out as a great memory for me. But what is more important is this gorgeous hotel that you have created, Jean-Francois. So please... Introduce yourself for the listeners, and then we can get stuck into how you went about creating the magnificent Lux Grand Bay. Over to you, Jean-Francois. Thank you very much, Paul, for welcoming me on the Spirit of Lux, and it's an honor to be sharing these ideas with you. And yes, we did meet in 1992, I think. And Saul Kozner and the team, is, uh, and for the first time, we worked together on this project, which was then also a very interesting one. I was working under Miko. I was the lead architect and only 33 or 32 years old at that time. You know, I would say very young. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did enjoy because it got me through to the real world as uh, your structure of uh, Sun International was there with us uh, uh, through Dean Murphy, Mirage, and all these boys who taught me what the real world was. And working under Miko was a privilege also, because if I'm here today is just because I had the great chance of meeting some amazing people in my life. 
which was Miko Giro, which was Mr. Paul Jones, amongst others, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> I actually, I did help also on your design of your house at that time, but I wasn't responsible for the architecture of it. Miko was all behind it, but uh, he had my hands uh, ready for help uh, in any case, you know. Right. So tell us about Lux Grand Bay, Jean-Francois. Lux Grand Bay, uh, Paul, it came, uh, I don't know how many years after. We spent kind of almost 15 years with Miko, and uh, I believe it was, I was at the right school, and that got me uh, going through the years, because architecture is a difficult world, is a difficult uh, trade, is a difficult profession, uh, I would say. Lots of people don't even look at it as a profession. I think it's a very complicated profession. You've got to be well geared to understand all the parameters of architecture. And only experience uh, through years can get you to these good results. Yeah, some famous architect did mention once that architecture is an old man's profession. And I think I'm an old man today. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> so I've learned a lot. After those 15 years with Miko, I've opened my own practice and started doing what I like to do. We had good practice with Miko in the hospitality industry because we kind of did most of the hotels on the island. So we were, we were there to understand the mechanism of it. And under my own practice, I started by the Beau Rivage Hotel, which is now the Lux Belmar, which has still not been actually renovated. On the architectural side, I think you did some beautiful renovation with Kelly, which enhanced the structures a lot. And then we went amongst, which was the, the Royal Palm and Marrakesh, which is managed by Fairmont today, to finally, and then Lux Grand Bay, Paul. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, so Lux Grand Bay, how was this born? How was the baby born in your mind, Jean-Francois? How did you conceive of this magnificent masterpiece? Yes, Paul, before answering question, I might go back to the history. Because you called me for Lux to work on the Mayville renovation. That was a couple of years back. And you gave me this challenge of reviewing the whole structures. So we did a first sketch proposal keeping all the existing structures as mm. is because they were built just next to the sea and we were not able to actually move it back because of the authorities' guidelines and uh, the 30-meter step back. We did try, but we could see that it wasn't the project because the rooms were small, the, the, the ceiling heights were low, the corridors were restrictive, and we wanted to have something more, I can remember, wanted to have something more with more grandeur there. Mm. And then we gave it another try with same form of concept, but uh, we brought down the structures and rebuilt on the same uh, footprint, but with uh, the real size bedrooms and uh, all the mechanism of the hotel with a kitchen underneath, rooms on the right and blah, 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 where we did add a skywalk crossing the road to some restaurant, even a nightclub behind, which was... Uh, in the design brief at that time. And that brought a lot of hesitation. And then you finally decided to go to the Grand Gobe, and you gave me a go-ahead just a few months before the first contractors on site came to Debolish. 
and we had to rush into the design of Grand Gobe, which we did in a few months' time. That was a great experience. It was a great, great gathering. We had a nice team. And the, as I always say, uh, the success of a project is really in its team. And when the team gets on well together, you can do extraordinary things, you know. And it worked for the Lux Grand Group, although we were very restricted by the existing structures there. But when we had open sheets of paper in front of us for the Lux Grand B, we had to strike hard. And I knew the sites, I knew every kind of spot within it, and uh, we had to get something grand there. And I think finally, looking back at that, we successfully did, Paul. Right. And then, Jean-Francois, you went back to your childhood days in Grand Bay, where you were fishing from the rocks, and then from the fishing, you went to the pirogue. And then eventually you graduated to sailing boats. And that, you told us, inspired your architecture for Lux Grand Bay. Exactly, Paul. I mean, I am someone from Grand Bay. My mother's parents were staying in Pointe-Canonier, and my father's parents were staying in Anselare. And we were in Babeuf, uh, since my very young age, where we kind of shared the very old and rustic Grand Bay life. Obviously, we were attracted more towards the sea. I was into a lot of diving at this time, fishing and boats and so on. And effectively, uh, sailing boats just struck my mind, and I kind of got obsessed by sailing boats. And I was sketching and, uh, and drawing these sailing boats, those voiliers all day long. And uh, it just came to my mind that there is a beautiful structural result in a sailing boat with only a thin mass stuck on a thick body, cutting the waves of the sea and taking good pressure wind from the side to get it to move ahead. I think all this is just amazing. And in Grand Bay, we had the Grand Bay Yacht Club. And uh, as a youngster, I was going very often there, seeing all these boats going in and out from the Bay of Grand Bay, passing in front of Mayerville, the old name for Lux Grand Bay, and all that got into my mind. So, and these sketches uh, had to come out sometime to do something and be useful to me somehow, Paul. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and you also wrote some poetry about it. Do you remember some of the words you used for the poetry that you put to this vision of yours with the sails. Yes, Paul, uh, we did actually work on these four uh, beautiful words, which are uh, refinement, purity, elegance, and harmony. And obviously, you've got a kind of cascading effect on these four words. Refinement is, I would define it at the successive uh, layers of work through design development, getting all the team to work together backwards and forward to get the right refinement. In, in architecture, you just can't have a sketch proposal just built like that. You've got to go through this design development. It's very, very important. And these are my keywords in my office. And the refinement, obviously, brings us to purity, purity of design, because when you go through this, through this refinement, you finally reach a form of purity and this purity is hard work. You've got to go through it. And, and obviously, 
ends up into elegance. The elegance is the result of this hard word, and you can feel the elegance when you walk in the building. You can feel the volumes, the, the refinements, and so on. And to finally come with a harmony of such a project, I mean, what I did write was in French, so I'm trying to translate it uh, through remembering what I did write. But the harmony, uh, most and for all, is, is the unity of these first three words where people come back to use the structure of the hotel because the lux of Gambé is not only the architecture, it's the architecture, the interiors, they are the lighting, the landscaping, the people operating it take most of the time to get these four factors working together properly. And uh, this is where the success of such a hotel lies. Absolutely. And what comes to mind, Jean-Francois, from my knowledge and experience is the volumes, as you said, and the adjacencies. And the volumes that you've created are absolutely surprising because when you enter the hotel, you have quite a small portico that you actually walk through. And when you approach it, you've got this beautiful mix of materials, which we'll come to a little later when I ask you about the choice of materials. But those materials strike this harmony. But the scale of it, as you approach, and you're approaching it on a slope going up, it seems small and intimate. And when you enter, that's when you get this volume. Now, how did you ever envisage such a voluminous space for the lobby? How did that come about and how did you achieve it? Paul, I think that uh, architecture cannot be architecture without uh, urban, urban design, urbanism. And yes. the feeling of this whole hotel uh, comes somehow starts by the street experience, which was just existing there. We had to play with this road, which was there. And it's quite a popular road. It's going through Gorbe. It's a coastal road. And we got to get the hotel around it. But how to get people living in the hotel also away from it? So it was a big challenge. It's where we have designed this perpendicular axis to the road and get this entrance feeling on the public side of a hotel where you are on the street, you are on the very public side of the hotel, which is the driveway, enhancing the heights, the volumes, the light, the water, the plants, the welcoming of the people under the port cochere. And then we had to direct them towards what everyone come to see in Mauritius, it means the sea. So our first analysis was to raise the platform to the first floor without anyone knowing it was on the first floor. So where we could slide all the kind of back of house and hide all the back of house underneath or all that without people knowing it's there. And once you get to this level, I knew that uh, perspectives opening up on the sea and the colors of the lagoon would be extraordinary. And then we had to explode in this triple volume of space where we kept a balance of lights, colors, structures, where also their people are welcoming you. So everything happens at the eye level, but you feel the grandeur of this thing in your hand. And I think, I mean, kind of observing everyone coming in during those last uh, months. And 
Wow, the only thing they do, they just kind of lift their head up to look and feel this volume, and walking through it is amazing because you got some sculptural things accompanying you through, like the spiral staircase lifting you and bringing you to the roof and the lift on the other side with all the amenities you created, like Maison Lux and all the seating arrangement, uh, which brings life to this area. You come on some form of hanging pontoon where you stand and you kind of see and feel what the hotel is going to offer you. So you get this wow effect of the sea, the blue sea, the beach, the reflective pond. You can see the rooms on one side, the beach rouge on your left side, and then you understand where you are, and you obviously conclude within your heart that you will have an, an amazing stay in this beautiful place. Right, and Jean-Francois, Talk to us about the materials that you use, because it's quite a, an eclectic mix of material and quite daring, I would say, because it's certainly the first time that I've ever seen such materials used in combination for a resort hotel. Well, starting to do a hotel like that obviously brings you to a lot of cost engineering, and we had to choose things which uh, would kind of fit within this structure. And uh, most of the hotel, as you know, is concrete because concrete is the cheapest way of building uh, here on the island and the world over. And we had to end up showing to the user that we've got no concrete there. We had to hide it somehow. And hiding it would be to implement some form of screens. And these screens are not kind of only decorative. They are used to cut the sun at sunset to enhance perspectives, to filter views, and also bring a holistic use to the building. These screens were structured in metal, and for me, metal is quite a hard material and not really Mauritian as it comes from abroad. So we had to soften it. And by softening it, we kind of place some of these timber linings within it, which gives you a, another dimension on what the metal is. So bringing now a contrast of concrete, metal, and wood. And above that, we had to keep some form of natural local material through. And my sketches of sails brought me to work through these gigantic sails structures, these spinnakers blown with the wind to the ocean to just kind of catch this whole building. And we were courageous enough to put thatch on it, the sugarcane leaves just tied together and put on the roof. We've got a, a steepness which is unusual, and we had obviously to invent new details to get the water away from these structures, which are now working properly, bringing some light behind these sails and some tension structures holding them, so giving you a new dimension of uh, what architecture could be in Mauritius. Right. And then, Jean-Francois, I know you gave the builders and the project managers a big headache because what you did, which is very different, is you detached all the access corridors from the building using these very same metal columns and structures with the wood. But in doing so, I think they must have underestimated the volume of work that entailed. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, again, the teamwork comes well together. And people seeing new forms of design obviously moan about how they're going to do it. I can remember one of the team members for Grand Gob looking at all those steel, the curved steel structures to the bar and the buffet of Grand Gob. They told me it was impossible to build. I told them nothing is impossible to build if you know what you are doing and we're going to help you building it, you know. And we knew we had the, the top guys of Mauritius working with us on this project. They can moan, but I'm sure they're proud of what they have done now today. The shapes, the forms, the structures were a bit unusual. We had great project managers working with us, Brandon and Johannes. Uh, we had most beautiful contractors also backing us with all that, with coming up with the right question to get things right. So we finally, as a team, got it to live properly now. Corridors of bedroom blocks in hotels are the worst experience you can have because the kind of cheapest thing you can do. They've got no decoration. They've got structural columns, sometimes a roof, sometimes not a roof. If we've got some budget, we do a little hut on the staircase to protect it. And I wanted to just go away from that because it is the first thing the client experiences. Come to reception, he says hi, he signs what he's got to sign, have a welcoming drink, and then walks to his room. And he walks to his room, he's got to be able also there to have a feeling of what the hotel is offering uh, him. And the corridors are effectively very special structure where we did disconnect uh, the structure to the rooms as a first experience to let the plants grow in between and have light coming down so that you walk in a, I would say, semi-covered corridor, which is in curve, just like a bridge. So you've got the experience of a street on one side and you've got the experience of the planters on both sides. And when entering your hotel, you discover something else, which is the sea welcoming you through your balcony. Right. And Jean-Francois, the way the accommodation units are arranged on the site with the um, 86 junior suites on the right-hand side in the form of a crescent and the eight villas on the left-hand side as you face the sea are truly quite remarkable because they, in fact, uh, have the benefit of a wonderful, almost private beach in front. And then you were bold enough to design a skywalk between the resort and the rear of the property, and then add these magnificent apartments or residences with penthouses, which are linked by the skywalk. So this is a very adventurous, luxurious hotel. How did you achieve it? Because when people walk in, their first comment is, we didn't know that you had so much space. And how did you do that? You must have a very special talent and touch to be able to magically create space where space was not there and then link all these accommodation units together so beautifully, as you said earlier, harmoniously. Paul, as I just did state uh, earlier on, and thanks for your positive comments, I think planning is very important. And planning comes from my urban design background. 
where you've got to get it right. Sometime you've got to go really back to ba the basics of what architecture and planning is before finally conclude on such a thing. I don't think you should kind of jump to conclusion and think everything is done uh, at the first sketch. My hand uh, just goes on paper. But obviously there was a brief and the brief was given by yourself. And it was a, by trial and error that we kind of spent a lot of time. I can remember room size changing all the time, but we had to fit and to understand the constraints and for the constraints, which are very important, the way I think and the way I want to do things, uh, the constraints are the neighbors, noise, uh, cars, uh, wind, light, and potentials are also views, the beauty of the sun and uh, the beach, and so on. So you get to have a whole mic-match of uh, constraints and potential, turn uh, potentials, I mean, keep potential as potentials, and change constraints to potentials, you know. <laughs> so all that, you've got to tweak things around, test things, and with the open minders of, uh, of the team of Lux and the design sessions uh, we had together, whether it be in London, in Mauritius, or via team when you were in Singapore, brought it together slowly but surely. And this skywalk was the only way to link the, the back property to the front property because the road, the public road was there. And I was living through the old Mayville structures and seeing staff and people crossing the road was becoming a bit dangerous, and uh, we were happy to see the authorities work with us and give us the, per the right permits, the, the necessary permits for this, this skywalk to link the back and the front. It's positioned right in the axis of the entrance when you walk towards reception, so it's linked directly to reception, so the people living in the apartments are connected to the reception, where from there they can walk and enjoy the facilities of the hotel. Each apartment has got his its uh, private uh, swimming pool. So when you are in your apartment, uh, you are well at home. You are very happy. And if you want to meet with people, you just walk across the skywalk and go to the public areas and enjoy the beach, the restaurant, and all the amenities within the hotel. Jean-Francois, having worked on several projects myself, I recognize that one of the challenges working with um, artistic talent is often ego, and ego can get in the way. Now, where, whereas I accept that people have their fierté or their pride in their talent and their accomplishments and their ability to generate something very, very special, but the clash of ego can be quite negative to a project. I think we're very fortunate with yourself in having an architect who checks his ego at the door and brings humility and understanding and a very intense listening approach to the conceptual meetings, the design development meetings, which has always facilitated a collegiate team approach. And normally the architect in any project is the, often the lead. And then with the, this project, of course, we have a very famous, almost or definitely a celebrity interior designer, Kelly Hoppen, or interior architect. And we have also Stephen Woodhams as the landscape architect. And then we have Rob, 
working with, um, dare I say it, your daughter, Larissa, as the lighting designer, and many, many others in this team who all formed this incredible, intense partnership that was able to address the design development. I always call hotel design an iterative process, meaning, and I think you share that with me, meaning that it's never done until it's built. And even then, we can still knock it down and do it again, because it is iterative. And when you look in two-dimensional or on drawings, you see one thing, and then when you see it in the render, then it's another thing. And then when you see it actually going up, it's something else. And I think the ability to remain open-minded has been your strengths. But from your perspective, how did you live this? And then how, on top of it, how did you live it with the added layer of the pandemic over the past two to three years? Paul, the term ego, I don't like it. I think it's not been invented, you know, <laughs> because it doesn't in fact bring you anywhere. I mean, and it starts all with my team. I think we want a team to work together. And if you start kind of prouding yourself, if it's the right term of what you do and let them follow what you do, that's not the right attitude one should have, especially when you do such a big project, big for us, because it is one of the biggest I have done so far. I think the result comes obviously with this, as you just mentioned, iterative form of working and the sharing of ideas. And this is where you start getting QSs and project managers very frustrated because we always go out of <laughs> where we should go, you know, and they always try and bring us back online. And we just can't. We just are kind of artistic Mind, license <laughs> impregnated in, inside us, so we just can't get out of it. And unfortunately, as architects, we just can't see everything on paper. Even now, we've got these 3D tools that helps us a lot. So these opportunities are coming to us every day. Unfortunately, projects are becoming more and more difficult because you have less and less the opportunity to, to gather these form of ideas and have these contingencies helping us in developing more opportunities we see on site. And I think working with you is great because these opportunities come up together and we walk together, we see things and things happen and that's great. And it's the only way, way you can get a structure right. And coming back to the team, the team, yes, we're working with stars. Kelly is a star. Rob is a star. <laughs> and Stephen is a star also. We're working with stars. <laughs> and Paul Jones is a star also. <laughs> <laughs> so just just think of me in this uh, context. Uh, my only way out is to put my ego away <laughs> and to try and get everyone to think together like I want to think. But the true story is that uh, we successfully got the right concept, the concept right. And uh, the board of directors, when I remember presenting all these uh, sketches and philosophical world of what the hotel is to become, to them. They did abide to, to it, you know. So the, the concept was strong. And it mm. wasn't a Mickey Mouse concept. It was a contextual concept. You know what I mean by Mickey Mouse? Sometimes yeah. people try and borrow concepts which are not 
two concepts, you know, but now this was the real land belonging concept. And once this was done, it was much easy because everyone was following the same route. And so we didn't have the choice of only working in a team through what was decided and agreed. And from there, it was an amazing team doing an amazing project together. We had some warming up session with uh, Lux Grango, with Kelly, Rob, and Stephen, where we started loving them. They're amazing people, and I think it was the right team. <laughs> Obviously, it was a love fest. <laughs> <laughs> and working with all of them, they have become friends today. You can see mm. us uh, in the hotel today working together. But uh, I was very nervous, especially working with Kelly. And Kelly was bringing uh, Rob and Stephen with her. I said, what, what the hell will happen with the Lux Grand? And I was very nervous because there are some uh, ideas who has, as you just noted, a lot of ego. And the only aim is to try and change the architecture, to put their signature into the architecture, you know. But this never happened with Kelly. Uh, she did respect all the parameters set in the building, enhanced every part of it. When we had problems, we had obviously discussions on areas uh, we had to get right. And it was always a win-win situation. And you were always there, Paul, to, to guide us on the right decision too. And the truth of the story is in the result of this building. It's very simple. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and the pandemic? <laughs> the pandemic, I think, I mean, it's, it's very hard to state what I am uh, stating because the world over might listen to me and wouldn't like what I'm telling. But uh, the pandemic was an opportunity was an opportunity, a hard opportunity for us architects and designers because obviously it was a bit of a shock and no one knew where one was going. It was a kind of total question mark. My only aim at this time when the first pandemic arrived was to try and keep my office running because we didn't know what would happen. Would this project stop? Was the, would the cash flow be affected somehow? This was a big question mark, but looking back at it, uh, it's more easy now, and uh, we hope that everything will get better in the months or weeks to come. But uh, we had to stop work, and everyone had to work at home, and we had to motivate our team to work from home, and we took this time to catch up and to refine and to question ourselves on certain parts of it. The more difficult part was to motivate our team through teams and through the phone and through, because they were also in this same unknown. And we had to actually encourage them to state, heavily state, that we were going to be all right. And we were positive about the, this whole thing. And we had to be posit positive. And, and luckily, we were. Right. And Jean-Francois, which part of Lux Grand Bay are you most proud of? Which feature, which part of the building or buildings, which are you most proud of? Which really, for you, is your signature piece? It's a very difficult question to ask to an architect because we are artists, we are dreamers. We actually, when I look at the hotel, I mean, a hotel I design and we walk uh, through after completion. We unfortunately look at the things that did not happen, you know, and we are there to still beg and ask to make it and get it to happen. 
uh, we kind of, of are very satisfied and happy and proud of our product by viewing it through the eyes of others, if you know right. what I mean. When I walk in my lobby, I've been walking through this lobby for hundreds of times, and I still look up and I still look at the refinement we did achieve by drawing this spiral staircase. It was an exercise because we had to got it right structurally, visually, and with a full refinement of handrails and verticality and swinging up. And I think it is a success, but it is hard work. I think it was one of the items on, on which I did concentrate a lot and which I'm happy looking at uh, today. And mm. number two are the sales. I think these mm. sales, when you look up in those sales and look at all these tension members kind of mm. holding it with a light going through it at the back, it looks, you feel nice. You feel really you're on a boat right. and you're kind of being a bit blown by the wind. <laughs> in fact, Kelly calls the spiral staircase whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to find a name for everything. So. <laughs> Probably one of the most daring things you did, which has never been done before, is in fact the rooftop where you've suspended a, a pool and then you've got a bar up there and uh, and you've got 14 fully grown coconut trees up there and and you've got the jungle up there <laughs> what's that all about <laughs> Paul I must admit then uh, we were first visiting the old Mayville structure and I had to go through all the rooms, the corridors, the, the back of house, the, the understand the movements and so on. And I finally ended up on this roof of the existing structure, which was a kind of a high-rise uh, structure for Mauritius, a ground plus four, I think it was. And from this roof, I said, wow. I mean, we just can't have a new building built without being positioning ourselves on such a structure we've used through to the Gunner's Coin, the Quanmere, where you mm. can actually dive and look at the colors of the sea in an wow. incredible way. And it wow. all started there. And I have to admit that uh, the idea was also pushed by you, Paul, being uh, through a couple of work sessions in London and uh, having lived those rooftops bar in, of London, have helped me understand a couple of things too. And it was non-negotiable to have such things. And I'm happy to see that, that it is a success. The space wasn't big. So we had to actually squeeze everything there. The jungle that you really wanted to have. So we had to have the jungle. We had to have the swimming pool. It's long, this long uh, infinity edge so that people can actually put their arms on it and look at the view while having a beer. Having those little pods to sit on. And those sunbeds areas, the bar, the dining table, uh, private pods for special lounges and so on. So we had to right. fit everything in. Uh, it got on well together. It's not too big. It's not too small and gives you the right proportions for a brilliant ambiance. And effectively, yeah. going on a rooftop in Grand Bay is very, very hot, especially when you mm. are on the western side. So by mm. adding these steel pergolas and those sails, it uh, protects mm. you and gets the the one who actually are not used to the sun going uh, to hide under these sails to protect themselves. So I think it will be a successful space uh, to live through. Yes, and Jean-Francois, you must be a very proud father when you learned that Rob Cliff, the lighting designer, 
chose your daughter, Larissa, who is a fully qualified lighting designer herself, to in fact assist him, particularly during the COVID time. And uh, it really has been a pleasure for him and all of us on the team to work with your daughter. But I know that she took a particular interest in that rooftop. And I think she envisioned the colors of beautiful blue and a pink, which she's uh, introduced through all the lighting effects in both the pool and also at, at the bar, which make for just a, a spectacular arrangement of, of this rooftop at night. So you must be a very, very proud uh, father. Congratulations to you for Larissa's work. It's, it's really amazing. So Jean-Francois Adam, un mot pour le fin, a word for the end. How would you like the listeners to remember your legacy of Lux Grand Bay? Thank you very much, Paul. It was great uh, spending this time with you. Do I have to see it as a personal thing? Uh, no. The best thing I can take on me on this project is, is this extraordinary team we had to work with and with whom we've worked beautifully. I shall name my own team first, whether it be my administrative team who was behind backing us up, the draftsmen, the architects, even the, our ID department just kind of help us uh, resolving things sometimes in the dark, I would say. <laughs> and then growing up to the professional team, it's difficult sometimes to work with project managers, but working with Brendan and Johannes was a real pleasure. They are real professional guys and goes to understood the concept and they have understood the finalities of what we wanted to achieve. And that's uh, really great. Uh, to work with uh, general construction, because I don't think uh, lots of contractors on the island could achieve such uh, new forms, new products, new uh, way of uh, thinking uh, through the construction of the building. Thank you to the team, Kelly's team, with Kelly herself, were helpful. We were in contact on a daily basis, mostly, uh, with respect to the interiors of the rooms and public areas. Uh, Rob is an amazing guy. He's a guy with whom you want to work. Yes, Larissa was there. And we did work with Rob on the Lux Grand. And uh, Larissa was doing... Uh, her master's in London, and she kept in contact with Rob, and she was there from the start of the project with Rob at Kelly's office when we had our working section, so it all grew out from there. And uh, Stephen and Keith, uh, for the landscaping, uh, got good vibes together. We kept the existing trees, and we were fighting to keep other trees, and we did good there also. I don't know if I forgot People are must forget people. Well, but, uh, Ale Alexandre uh, and Cedric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cedric and Alexandre are particular to this project because they were here from the from the from the start. Uh, Alexandre is a partner of ours, and uh, he was dedicated and devoted, and he did very very well. Uh, whatever be conceptual ideas, uh, following up with the clients, detailing, connecting to the professional team, he did a job which I classify as above excellency uh, there, uh, seconded by Cedric, who just joined the office, did some work uh, in London before joining us. And I really wanted, uh, I know Cedric from, the very, very, from his very young age, and uh, I really wanted him to come and join us for this project. And I told him, you should come and you, you will learn something and you will meet with 
amazing people and lucky for him he did. I would kind of ask him the question uh, tomorrow to see or today to see if he really did enjoy this project. And as a finality, Paul, you, Mr. Paul Jones, under your umbrella, we did some beautiful work and you guided us as a maestro. And thank you very much for all that. Let the Lux team now take over. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Jean-Francois. You have definitely created a magnificent resort. I like to think of it as the most amazing, complete resort in the world. Not just Mauritius, not just the Indian Ocean, not just the Southern Hemisphere, but in the world. You should be proud. And I thank you. My gratitude goes out to you and all the team that you've mentioned. Thank you very much, Jean-Francois Adam. Thank you for listening to The Spirit of Lux with me, Paul Jones. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.